Enjoy the game by Lionel Burney. Chapter 9 Finding John Barnes. Steve Harrison tells a lovely story about the first time John Barnes played for Watford's reserve team. One Tuesday night in April 1981 and it's pouring with rain. Watford are getting ready to play Peterborough United in the Midweek Cup, a reserve team competition. No one's looking forward to it much because the season is winding down. There's a knock on the dressing room door. Steve Harrison opens it. There's this skinny lad, lovely fresh face, big open smile, standing there with his boots in his hand and a towel over his arm as if he was off swimming. All right, son. Are you here for the match, like? Harrison says. Yeah, I'm playing in the match tonight. Are you now? Well, in you come. Sit yourself down. What's your name, son? John. Great stuff, John. And where do you play? Left wing. Super. Well, I'm the left back, so I'll be right behind you. Just relax and enjoy yourself, Harrison told him. John Barnes, seventeen years old, had arrived. I swear he had a pair of leopard print underpants on, says Harrison. I made a joke because you can't let that go. Not even on the lad's first day. He laughed, and I thought, well, he'll fit in fine here. The match started. Harrison kept an eye on the youngster in front of him and tried to get him in the game as often as he could. He didn't do much, but he was neat and tidy. I played this ball forward to him, and it wasn't a great pass, you know. I might as well have fired it out of a cannon at him, but he took it on his chest and his knee and had it under control in two touches. I thought... What have we got here? A bit later we had a free kick just outside the penalty box and Barnes volunteered to take it. Why not let the lad have a go? He took it with his left foot and it curled over the wall and hit the top of the crossbar. With that, according to Harrison, Graham Taylor came running down from the director's box shouting to Sam Ellis, the reserve team manager. Get him off! Ellis shouted back. Well, he's not done that bad. By now... Half a dozen scouts are following Graham down from the stand, says Harrison, but he gets Barnes off and takes him away to do a deal. They took him to the office and thrashed it out with his father that night. It's an enticing tale, that of the manager rushing to get the young prodigy's signature on a piece of paper before anyone else, but it didn't quite happen like that. In fact, the story of exactly how Watford found John Barnes has spawned several variations with the passing of time. Like all great players, Barnes's backstory has become almost mythical. Everyone wants to claim that they discovered a superstar player among the Saturday morning cloggers, but the reality is far simpler. By 1981, Watford's network of spies and scouts spread far and wide. There was barely a player in the south-east they had not cast an eye over. The work that went into following up every tip and recommendation was extensive, like shifting through great piles of mud and rock in search of a tiny piece of gold. From the moment they saw him, it was obvious John Barnes was pure gold. They agreed to donate a full set of football kit to his club, Subbury Court, by way of a transfer fee. Within 18 months, he was in the England squad. John Charles Brian Barnes was born in Kingston, Jamaica in November 1963. His father, Ken, was born in Trinidad but moved to Jamaica and served in the army, reaching the rank of colonel. 
He also captained Jamaica's football team and was then their manager before moving into sports administration, serving as president of the island's boxing and swimming federations. Barnes was also instrumental in founding Jamaica's bobsleigh team, which eventually competed at the Winter Olympics. His son was a gifted all-rounder. As Steve Sims says, he could do everything. He was the best swimmer, the best tennis player, the best sprinter, the best cross-country runner too. He was a superb athlete. The family moved to England when Ken Barnes was posted to London as a military attaché, living first in Paddington and then settling in Hampstead. Barnes went to Marylebone Grammar School. It was a rugby-playing school, but Barnes preferred football. So he joined the Stowe Boys Club on the Harrow Road in Paddington and played for their football team in Regent's Park every Saturday morning. Their coach at Stowe was a man named Ray Sullivan, who also ran a Sunday league team called St Joseph's. By the time he was 15, Barnes was playing for both teams, usually turning out at centre-half because he was one of the few who was disciplined enough to hold his position, although even he liked to roam free. Stowe were one of the strongest teams around and would often win games 7 or 8 nil. Barnes loved nothing better than picking the ball up at the back and dribbling past the entire opposition team. In September 1980, Sullivan took a few of his Stowe players to a training session at Sudbury Court, a senior team in the Middlesex League. Barnes was the one who impressed most, and he was asked if he would like to join. Up against the men, I wasn't physically strong enough to play centre-half, so they put me on the wing, says Barnes. That suited me, because I'd always thought of myself as a forward player. In Dave Hill's biography of Barnes, Out of His Skin, Subbury Court's manager, Des Lawler, says, When John first came to Subbury, I thought he was a really lucky little sod. He was sort of riding the tackles just pushing the ball past people, hurdling with a lunge and carrying on. I thought, well, he's had a purple patch, but he won't do that again next week. But Barnes did do it again the next week, and the week after that. Some of the teams didn't take kindly to being made to look foolish by a young black kid, and he was quickly a target for people who wanted to hack him in half. But he kept swerving the challenges, and his teammates became increasingly protective of him on the pitch. In early 1981, a scout from Queen's Park Rangers came to watch Barnes. The scout saw the way he could suck defenders in, burst past them and deliver superb curling crosses and offered him a contract on the spot. Barnes turned them down, explaining that he was due to go back to Jamaica with his family when his father's posting in London came to an end in the summer. QPR were persistent and invited him to a training session. Barnes said he was happy to train in the evenings, but he wouldn't be able to play for QPR's youth team on a Saturday morning because he wanted to be with his mates at Sudbury. They were on their way to winning the Middlesex League and the Harrow Charity Cup and Barnes wanted to finish the job he'd started. Barely a week went by without Bertie Mee opening a letter or answering a phone call from someone convinced they'd spotted the next Pele playing in a local park. Mee had a network of trusted scouts and he would ring one of them and reel off the latest assortments of names to see if any were worth following up. A taxi driver, a Watford supporter, had seen John Barnes playing for Sudbury Court and told John Hardy, one of Watford's scouts, about him. Initially, neither Hardy nor me took too much notice because the same taxi driver had previously recommended a couple of players who turned out to be duds. But the taxi driver was persistent and called Watford and left a message for Graham Taylor. John and Bertie didn't really want to go and watch the lad because there's not enough time to go and watch other people's tips, says Tom Wally. If you went to watch every player the supporters recommended, you'd never spend more than five minutes at home. 
The supporters think they've seen a good player, but they don't know deep down what they're looking for, right? Sudbury Court rang a bell. A couple of seasons earlier, they had had a lad called Brian Steen, who scored 70-odd goals in a season before moving to Edgware Town and then Luton Town, so me agreed to go with Hardy to watch Barnes. In an interview with the Sunday Times in 1984, me said, I looked at Barnes for ten minutes and said, I want his phone number and address. He's good enough for me. With an outstanding player, you can tell. That evening, me rang the number. Colonel Barnes, said the voice. As a military man, me was instantly impressed. Colonel Barnes invited me to his house, and they talked over a gin and tonic. The two men had a lot in common. They had also met before, which hadn't occurred to either of them until me was on the doorstep. Back in the 1970s, Arsenal had played a friendly in Jamaica against the national team. Colonel Barnes was the manager that day, and when the atmosphere turned ugly and supporters got onto the pitch, he had ushered me to the safety of the dressing room. If Colonel Barnes was going to leave his son in England, while the rest of the family returned to Jamaica, Bertie Mee was exactly the sort of person he would trust to look after him. Mee talked about Graham Taylor and Tom Wally, and the more he spoke, the happier Colonel Barnes felt. John Barnes trained with Tom Wally one Thursday evening in early March, and the following week played in a game at Harefield. It was freezing cold, says Wally. I am telling you, John Barnes's head was white with frost. He showed little bits and pieces, but I needed to see him again, because he was playing for Sudbury on a Saturday we couldn't get him in. A few weeks later Sudbury had a free Saturday, so Wally picked Barnes to play for the youth team. Who would Watford be facing? Only Queen's Park Rangers away. It wasn't until Barnes was halfway to West London in the minibus that it crossed his mind he'd told Rangers he couldn't play for them. According to Out of His Skin, the QPR coaches were not pleased and comments were made. Barnes played poorly. At Brisbane Road against Orient on a Tuesday evening it was a different story. Paul Franklin, Watford's young central defender, said, He was very outgoing before the game. I thought, he'd better be some player if he's this confident. And he was. He was absolutely fantastic and it was obvious he wasn't going to stick around in the youth team for long. Barnes rolled out all the tricks, dropping his shoulder and letting the ball pass one side of the defender while he ran round the other, like Pelle used to do. He scored with a volley and went close with another shot from distance, and Graham Taylor made up his mind there and then. Meanwhile, Des Lawler, Subbury's manager, having got wind the fact that Barnes would be staying in England beyond the summer, tried to interest some of the bigger clubs. When he rang Arsenal, all they asked was Barnes's age and his height before politely declining. Lawler said, One day, he'll cost you half a million pounds. Barnes was already seventeen, too old to be offered an apprenticeship at Watford, so they had to sign him as a full professional. The transfer fee was a set of football shirts, shorts and socks. It was the deal of the century. He moved into Diggs in Garston with Steve Terry. He turned up wearing his dad's jacket which was a couple of sizes too big for him, and he began to learn about life as a professional footballer. It wasn't long before the squad reported back for pre-season training. When he did the cross-country for the first time, Graham gave Barnsley a mup, says Les Taylor. I was a good runner, always in the first three or four, but John was miles ahead. He didn't know where he was going, couldn't be bothered to read the mup, so he stopped and waited for me. When I caught him up, I sent him the wrong way, and I ended up winning. One day that summer, the first team played the reserves in a full practice match. That pitted Barnes, the left winger, 
against Pat Rice, the right back and club captain. He gave me a hard time, says Rice. His balance was terrific and he was so comfortable on the ball, he was clever too. He rarely did the same thing twice when he got the ball so you couldn't guess what he was going to do. Eventually, they kept giving the ball and let him get on with it and I was suffering. After training, Bertie Mee gave Rice a lift home. What do you make of him? Mee asked. He's ready. He can play in the first team now. He's that good. On the first day of the new season, Barnes played for the reserves against Swindon and scored in the first half. Three days later, he scored again as the reserves won at Arsenal. Then he made his first team debut as a substitute against Oldham Athletic at Vicarage Road. The following Tuesday, he played for the reserves at QPR. Most of the first team squad made the trip, partly to watch Barnes. Charlie Palmer, who was playing in the game, said, He was wearing ordinary studded boots on QPR's AstroTurf, and he was the best player on the pitch. That performance convinced Taylor to put Barnes in the team, and so the following Saturday he made his full debut at Stamford Bridge. The intimidating atmosphere did not upset him. Barnes was magnificent, as Watford won 3-2. After the game, Taylor said, I think we've found a jewel. When you talk about signs along the way, John Barnes's performance at Chelsea showed me he was the last piece of the jigsaw, Taylor says. End of chapter 9 Next time The Hornets make history reaching the top flight for the first time.